Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So we've been in a series on uh, temptation uh, for the last four weeks, and I realized this past week that I had forgotten one element of temptation, so I'm going to add one week to it this coming Sunday as well. And that is, we've been talking for four weeks, including today, about how to flee or the exit doors, as I'm calling them this morning, how to get out of temptation, how to escape, to run away, uh, to get far from temptation, what God has to say about that. But you know what? Let's just be honest. We don't always flee, right? We don't. Matter of fact, I said this when we started the series. If you look around this room, you will see people. Matter of fact, in every seat who have not given in to temptation. That's great. You will also see in every seat people who have given in to temptation. In every seat that is occupied this morning. So what do we do as a Christian body, as a Christian family, when we blow it? How do we handle that? How do we handle that? And so I think we should have at least one Sunday out of the five when we talk about navigating the waters of when we've just blown it. And so we're going to talk about that next week because that's a part of life as well. But this week we are going to talk about the exit strategy or finding three doors. I think God, uh, at least three doors that he shows us in scripture this morning for us to be able to make a hasty escape or at least prepare to escape when the time of temptation comes. Temptation, as we've said before, is trying to meet a need basically outside of God's will. It's doing something that we think will fulfill us in such a way, but it's, we realize it's not really God's best for us. I've also said that temptation is anything that robs us of the freedom of Christ. Many times we think it's God's just a party pooper. You know, He doesn't want me to do things because he's just kind of a mean dude. He's not, he doesn't want me to have fun, but that is so far from the truth. I mean, God has life. We read those scriptures last week. There's freedom in Jesus. He has life for us and celebration and good relationships. That's what he wants for us. But the world system, as far as the way it's run and what they tell us is valuable, as well as our own sinful nature at times, plus we have an enemy called the devil that is doing everything he can to rob and steal from us everything God has paid the price for, and that is life. And life more abundantly. So this is about freedom. Temptation or being tempted to do something that is really a lot of fun to us. Many times is just a blown out of proportion uh, issue or gift that is uh, not being used the way God wants it to be used. Like a marriage, you know. A marriage is a lot of hard work. And so instead of going through a lot of hard work to enjoy that sexual relationship within marriage. And use it as a celebration and uh, just a party time. And a time to exchange love with each other in a very special way. Suddenly it, gets, it just gets spread out so much in society and used and abused so much that it is no longer anything special. Now see, that's not freedom. I want freedom to enjoy things the way God intended for them to be enjoyed. Because that's where I will find the most pleasure. And you will too. And God has that for us. And he has freedom for us. And so 
this is that journey. This is that journey for us uh, as Christ followers. If you're not a Christ follower yet, you're getting a picture of how we try to do life. And so listen. And, and at the end of the service, I'd love to get feedback from you. But this is our journey. This is our discipling by God and how to live the life that Jesus paid for, for us to live. And so, uh, you know, like sex, money, money, we mentioned this. Money's good. I mean, it can be used to do great things, or it can suddenly can consume us. Suddenly, we are working for it instead of it working for us. Then it becomes an idol. Relationships are like that. Powers like that. Instead of having influence in order to serve people and to see that people get better in life and see the love of God and the support of God, we use it to rule over people and to hurt people and to harm people. And that's a misuse of power. That is not God's way of using our influence. And so we're all trying to redeem that and not be tempted to fall into a, a a way that is just not God's best for us in enjoying this life. And I do believe it's about enjoying life. I don't think I'm holding the fort till Jesus comes. You know, I'm not. I mean, I, I think that eternity began the day that I said yes to Christ. My eternal life started right on May 1st, 1971 at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon in a ratty hotel room in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. Right then and there, my new life began. Jesus began taking ground right there. And he's been taking it ever since then. And he's going to keep taking it until we go right on in to the eternity. But it, it's not going to begin then. It began the moment I said yes. You get this? So it's not like, man, I just wish you'd come on. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I just stink. I just, I don't know why I can't get life together. No, no, no. It's God's moving in you now through the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of his son. This is the journey we're on. And it is a war sometimes. And it is a fight sometimes. But there is victory for us. And there's freedom and there's new life in that. And that's what I want. That's what I want for me. That's what we want for one another. And that's what God wants for us. Well, let's read our, our text, the one that we launched with in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This was our series text. So let's, let's read this together this morning. Ready? Here we go. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Uh, Breathe life on your word. Bring it uh, to a place in our hearts in our spirit, in our mind, Lord, where it makes sense to us. And we know that uh, you have life and you have freedom. And, Lord, we would just want to take in that breath of freedom to live life as you always intended it. So help us see it today. Holy Spirit, come have your way with us. Give us courage. Give us courage today to, to surrender our lives to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. In your handout, uh, there's three spaces this morning for you to fill out. These are, as I said, three doors or three exits because God promised to us that he would show us a way to get out of here. (laughs) You're in temptation. He's going to show you a way. There's going to be an exit strategy. There's going to be a door. There's going to be a venue, some way to get out of there before you fall. And I believe there are three here. Your first one is this. The first one is praying or pray. To pray. And you're going, duh. You know, I mean, Christians, all you Christians talk about is pray, pray, pray. Pray has a 
an amazing power in our lives when it comes to withstanding temptation or recognizing when we're in a position of about to be tempted beyond what we think we can handle. Prayer is a way to develop our ear to hear God say to us, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't hang out there or don't say yes to what's being asked of you right now. Or even, you know, you should do this. It's a, if we don't listen to God and if we don't develop a conversation, we never will understand when to, to stand the ground, where to escape or what to do. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's such a moment uh, for him. And just like he was in the desert back when his ministry first began, now as he comes to the conclusion or to the apex of the ministry of his whole life for the crucifixion to happen, he finds himself in another position of temptation. He has his best friends with him, and he says, Look, would you guys hang out with me? And so he says to them, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, what's happened is one three times, you know, he went away to pray with his father. He's having this groaning. He's going, God, if there's any other way to go through this, I sure would like to know what it is right now. But not my will, but yours be done. And he goes back to look for support from his friends and they're all asleep. (laughs) They don't get it. They don't know the moment. They don't recognize the moment that Jesus is in. And these are the words that he tells them. He's like, you've got to keep your eyes open. You need to pray and keep the conversation going or you're going to fall into temptation. It's, you know, we're not static beings, not spiritually either. We're never just stuck in a place. It's not, as I said earlier, you know, you said yes to Jesus and your life stopped. Now you're on waiting. I wish they, this thing they talk about, the kingdom to come. I wish it would come. I wish heaven would come. And then we just suddenly put all of this out of our mind and we go back to life. A lot of us have done that because in church that's what we've been taught it's about. And we go back to life, try to be good people. But we don't realize that God is beginning to work and bring his kingdom right now. And through our prayer and keeping our eyes open, we can move forward. Because I can tell you this, the devil is not static either. Scripture says he has come down to earth and he is angry. He knows he only has a little bit of time. And he has come down to harass, to steal, and to take everything good that God has given us. And so the only way that we can stay vigilant and watch is in our prayer life. That's why Jesus took time away. He would go off to the lonely places. I I can't remember which version uses that description, but I think that's a beautiful description. Jesus went to a lonely place. It was a place where... He could gather along with his father and he could speak to him. Do you do that? Do you have a time, a place where you can pull away just for a few minutes with your father in heaven? That's where Jesus drew his strength from to stay the course, to complete the task and the journey. And it's the same place we're going to find the strength from to continue this journey and to continue it successfully instead of falling every time. There's a temptation thrown our way. If we don't watch, if we are not keenly aware of what's going on around us, and you know, the Bible even says that the devil has schemes. I think the Greek word schema, and that is like a plan. There's strategy behind it of how to trip us up and how to take us down and 
short circuit God's goodwill in our lives. And if we don't stay in connection with God and talk to Him, we'll never see the exit door. We'll never recognize the way out when our time of testing, our time of temptation comes. And God wants to supply that to us, but we need to hear it. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Are you in trouble this morning? Are you in a place where you, just, you would go, I don't know how I got here. I just don't know how this happened. Pray. Ask God for help. Talk to Him. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to speak to you. Have you noticed in the scripture, he says, watch and pray in Matthew 26, 41, so that you will what? Not fall, right? Fall into temptation? Because that's what it feels like. When we, we, we feel like it just happened and we fell in it. But did you notice nowhere do you read like, wow, he fell into holiness? I mean, I was, just, I was just walking along one day, you know. I was just walking along one day and bam, I was holy. I was like, man, you know, I don't know how this happened. I'm like, all my affections are in just the right place. I've forgiven everybody that ever wronged me. I just fell into holiness. No, because that's not what happens. It's a walk, one foot in front of the other. Every day, making choices to pray, to talk, to be in watch, to watch the world around us, to watch our lives. Not to be paranoid, but to be keenly aware of what's going on in our lives so we can make the choices we need to. And so we can see the exit door when the time comes when we're being pressed. Because if we can't hear God, then we won't hear, Tim, run! You know, and, and, and see this exit, uh, you know, this exit with the finger pointed to the door like that. I mean, you've seen these signs with somebody running, you know, like that. And uh, that's it. You want to see that sign. You want to see that on the door. And, and you want to run. You want to get away. You want to flee. You don't want to allow yourself to stay in a position of vulnerability. And so we pray. Even Paul. I mean, Paul in the New Testament was such a passionate man, wasn't he? I mean, preaching the gospel, getting in people's face one minute, and the next minute he's, he's weeping in humility, and he's, he's crying to people to follow Jesus, and he's just such a passionate man. But did you know he was not an impulsive man? That he prayed and he got direction on what he did, where he went. Many times in the book of Acts, it would say the Holy Spirit kept us from preaching in this area. Now, you would think, hey, go preach in every area, Right? Maybe the timing wasn't right. Maybe there was something going on at that time. If Paul had not been praying, had he not been listening, because of his fervent desire was burning out of control almost, he would have just rushed in anywhere. But no, he needed to pray, and he did pray, and he listened. And when God said, don't go here, he said, okay. Then he would back up. I think Acts 9, somewhere along in there, it's like twice he backs up. It says being you know, prohibited from preaching in this area, being prohibited from this area. But it says, but then we were allowed to go into this area. That is, now God says, this is it, Paul. If you'd have gone to these other areas, it would have robbed you of the time and the effort and the resources you had to get into this area. He wouldn't have known that had he not been praying, had he not been listening. And God wants to speak to you. Jesus, that's where he got his strength from, was praying to his Father. And so if we're going to see the exit door, if we're going to be able to escape, we need to be able to say, yes, I've spoken to God today, and he's going to speak to me. And I've said this before the last couple of weeks, 12 minutes a day, right? Some of you remember this? 12 minutes a day of fervent prayer for eight weeks will change your brain. 
not just your spirit. It will change the chemical processes in your brain. It releases oxytocin. It rewires your brain in such a way that your optimism returns. You begin to get excited about life. And it's going to take 12 minutes. That's going to be one of the calls at the end of the service. I'm going to ask you to respond in one of three ways at the end of the service. And one of them is, I will commit for this next week, between now and next Sunday, to pray for 12 minutes a day for the next seven days. So you be thinking about it. 12 minutes a day. You know, when I pray, I'm not one of these guys that, like, I don't go in a closet to pray. That's just, like, weird to me. I'm sorry. I mean, if you, you, you know, I just, I can't do it. I just start going, you know. Like, I mean, it's like, I don't like, you know, I'm not afraid of dark or anything. But I'm just like, I'm gonna, I got to go. <laughs> I'm just a little high strung. And, uh, and so I walk, you know, I walk. I go to the beach and I walk. I walk around my block. I talk to God. I, I find something. I'm a walking, praying guy, you know. That's, uh, that's what I like to do. I love to be out in nature. I love to see the sky. I love to see people. It helps me pray to see people drive by. It, it stimulates me. And, and whatever works for you, find 12 minutes somewhere. Get along with God and say, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on. Talk to him. Ask him to talk to you. Ask him to speak to you. How many of you have had God say to you at certain times in your life, don't do something and it worked out really great? Look at this. Look at this. I mean, I've been saved from some pretty ready stuff, you know, because especially early on in my Christian walk where I would, you know, just I heard this little voice, don't do it. You know, like you were invited somewhere or something was going on. And then all of a sudden you just feel this little, don't do it. And you want to and you don't see any harm in it. And then you listen to it. And later on you went, wow. So glad I didn't, you know. So glad I took the exit door. (laughs) So glad I listened. And so, but we have to have a hearing ear. And that's something we as followers of Jesus that we have through the Holy Spirit. Through the presence of God in us. We can develop that. We can learn to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit and speaking to God. Your second one is ponder, ponder, and that is think, ruminate, meditate on uh, the Scripture, on the Word, ponder the Scriptures. Psalms 119 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. Decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, Psalm 19 is a very special, wonderful a piece of literature because Psalm 19 is written by a very young preacher who is having a difficult time. He's not a legalist. He's not one of these saying, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. But I think it's all but maybe two or three portions of this whole psalm has to do with God's word. He is saying to God, you know, I want to hear your word speak to me because it's going to save me a lot of sorrow. And I need you right now, God, to speak to me. And so he's saying, I will take what you say to me, and I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to ponder it 
I'm going to ruminate. You know what ruminate means? Like a cow. You know how you, a cow, just don't get grossed out. Uh, but, you know, a cow eats and then he throws it back up. He chews on it. You know, see, you take a scripture. You take a scripture and you read it and you're chewing on it, right? Then you put it away. Then at lunchtime, you know, you, you, you throw it back up. <laughs> throw it back up. This is going to be a nice picture for you guys, right? You're going to throw it, throw it back up, and you read it, and you chew on it again. Hmm. Hmm. There's more in this than I thought there was. I'm glad I saved a portion of it. Hmm. Hmm. Then you go back to work. You know, you get home one more time. You know, here it is, and you look at it again, and you go, oh, hmm. I didn't notice that before. I didn't notice that before. You just meditate. You ponder. You ruminate. You consider. You recall. And, uh, and this is one of the calls this morning. And that is that you would commit to memorizing a scripture this week. And uh, I'm going to give you one. John 11.35. Does anybody know what that is? It's, it's a challenge I think you can meet. It really is a challenge I think you can meet. Um, has anybody found it? John 11.35. Somebody want to just say it? Come on, Bible people. So that you don't believe that's my scripture. You think I'm, I misquoted, but I didn't. Jesus wept. That's the scripture. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Now, let me tell you something. You take that scripture, and starting this afternoon, you go, Jesus wept. And you think about that. You think about that. You say, Jesus, and you think of who he is. You think of the Son of God, 100% man, 100% God. Cain lived a sinless life died on the cross for me, raised from the dead for my justification, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, will one day come back and see his full kingdom restored here on the earth. Jesus, that Jesus wept. This is the point in time when Lazarus, his friend, had died. Now you just consider that and see what I don't, right now my heart is like going, wow. So how many's memorized it already? <laughs> right? No, it's okay if you need to write it on a card. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. And take it out and ruminate on it. You know, bring it up and meditate on it during the. I have seen the Word of God do some crazy things. And I want to tell you a story because uh, I had a friend who was, was about to do some things and was in the middle of some things that were not really healthy for their life. This is. Uh, a long time ago, somebody you don't know, but uh, in another place and time. And, uh, and I was praying for him because I, I just, I just I had known the person for quite some time. And I knew God had his hand on them. And I knew he had a purpose for them. And, and they were heading in the wrong direction. And I was supposed to have lunch. He asked me to go to lunch. And it was when the Message Bible first came out. You guys know the message translation. It was when the Psalms and the Proverbs first came out, right? When Peterson released that. And so I was reading through Proverbs 2, 3, 4, and 5, that whole section in there in the message. And I read things. And 
please, uh, ladies, don't. This was a son in Proverbs writing, or a father writing to his son. So it's put in the context of, a, of that, a father talking to his son. But it could easily have been a mother or father talking to a daughter. So don't take this as, as one-sided. Paul actually talked about men who would rush into women's homes, you know, who were weak at certain times and take advantage of them. Paul in the New Testament talks about that kind of behavior. So it's not just men, you know, and women. It's, you know, or women and men. It's vice versa too. So understand that when I read this. But I started reading things from the message like this. The lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her soft words are oh so smooth. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, a wound in your side. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. She hasn't a clue about real life, about who she is or where she's going. So, my friend, listen closely. Don't treat my words casually. Keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? Did you know that was in the scripture? Yes, it is. I didn't make that up. That's it's in there. Yeah. Can you walk barefoot on hot coals and not get blisters? It's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. Touch her and you'll pay for it. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. Adultery is a brainless act. And it goes on and you guys can read it. Then it gets over to another spot. It goes, they'll be with you. uh, Talking about the words of the Lord. They'll be with you to fend off the temptress. That smooth-talking, honey-tongued seductress. As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived, then turning up the path to her house. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured into ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a, into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. Then it goes, Peterson interprets it, Listen, you idiots! <laughs> learn good sense I took this we're sitting right down the street and I shoved it over in front of him and I said read this so he started reading it and then when he got to that part where it said listen you idiots I said who's the idiot in this story because he was in this situation and he just stopped now, I didn't know until about 10 years later he said he came about that close to hitting me right in the mouth. <laughs> but I loved him. And, and you know what happened? That word pierced his heart. That day, he went right back to his wife. He got things straight. He has an amazing life today because of that word. Because he took the word. He pondered it. He ruminated on it. It was a mirror to him. He considered himself a very intelligent person. So I said, who's the idiot? The scripture put a mirror in front of him, and he said, I'm the idiot. I'm the idiot. If we don't know the scripture, and if we can't ponder on it, we'll make decisions, and we'll, we'll never notice the exit door. Like my friend did, he saw it. The lights were just blinking at him. No, come this way, come this way. Don't go that way. And he did. He responded to it. And uh, there's power in the word, in memorizing the word. There's power in John eleven thirty five, as Jesus weeps for those he loves. There's power in it. So we, 
We pray, we talk to God, we ponder God's word. And your last one is this. We pursue people. We pursue, pursue people who, uh, who have our back. Who has your back spiritually? Who's got your back? I mean, do you have anybody in your life who I'm, I don't mean got your back with a knife in your back. I'm talking about, I'm talking about got your back, but I got their back turned to you and is walking behind you like this. Do you have people in your life like that? You should, because that's part of the provision of God for us. Look at this scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, that doesn't mean we turn all, you know, we do away with all of our relationships at all with those who are not followers of Jesus. I've got wonderful friends in the surfing community, in the music community that I, they would do almost anything for me. And they have done a lot for me and my family. And I love them. And I'm going to be there for them. And they'll be there for me. But there are certain things and times and situations that I just can't go into. They don't have my back in the way that my Christian friends, some of the ones that love me and know me best, have it. Because they don't value that part of my life like I do. Or like they do. You get this? Just a word of caution, too. Let's say you're dating somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. And you're like, you know, you, you've got like three options, right? Your first option is to cut it off. To go, you know what? In the future, what's going to happen is our values are going to clash. I'm falling in love with this person. I'm go- you know, I really love them. I want to be with them. We're, maybe we're going to end up getting married. And then later on, when it comes time for me to want to spend time with church or with the way I give, the way I serve, the way that I do life, it's going to run in contrary to the values of that person that I love and I'm falling more in love with. And we're going to have a lot of problems later on. So you go, I'm going to trust God with this and I'm going to break it off. That's one choice. The other choice is you can pray for the next week for God to save them. <laughs> You can pray for the next week, Lord, just like you're going to memorize that scripture, just like you're going to pray for 12 minutes for the next week. You can go, Jesus, please break into their life and show them how much you care for them and love them. And then at the end of the week, you can just rejoice over their salvation. The third one is you can keep going like you want to, like you're doing, and you can just end up watering down every bit of what God wants to do in your life because somebody has got to give in a situation like this. Who has your back? You want to marry. You want to be with people. You want to have friendships, strong friendships of people who will have your back and have you covered, looking out for your best spiritual interest as well as everything else. And you know what? You want friends, too, that are going to restore you. We'll talk more about this next week. We'll restore you when you fall. You want people that love you that much. If they feel you tilt behind, you know, they don't boom. But, you know, what's wrong with you? They're down on their knees to pick you up, to get you up, and let's get going. Let's go. Someone that's got your back, that's got your front, that is there for you. We need people like that in our lives. We have to have people like that in our lives if we are to live life the way that God calls us to. It's, you know, friends can say you're going the wrong direction, a good friend that you love and trust and that loves you. They can see things in your life that you don't see. Did you know you got blind spots? No, you don't know that because they're blind spots. You don't know that. You don't know it, you know. 
That's like my wife says to me, do you think you could be deceived? And I said, well, if I am, I wouldn't know it. <laughs> so what's the point? <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? We've got these spots in our life that we can't see, and sometimes they lead us in directions that we don't or should not go. And a good friend that knows us can point these things out with love and much support and say, I want the best for you. You know, I want you to be everything God has ever dreamed for you to be. So can I help you with this? Can I walk with you? I'll pray for you. I'll be there for you and walk with you. We have to have people in our lives like that. And the body of Christ is a very unique group of people. The church is unique in this way. And so because we pray, we support, we're there, we restore, we forgive. It's a life full of the Spirit and freedom. And so that's the, that's the third call of this, this morning in this service is, would you be willing to ask God to give you someone like that? And would you start looking for a close Christian friend to walk with you in life? You know, we got small groups in this church where friendships have developed and people have stuck together. Would you be willing to look and to say, God, bring some friends into my life. Maybe you need to be that friend. Look to the other friend and say, will you meet with me this week? Can we get coffee and talk to each other and share? Reach out and develop this because that will help us recognize the exit doors from temptation when they occur. There's just, I've read this quote, there is no such thing as a complete person in isolation from others. We are a product of who we are with. We are a product of who we are with. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.